I was caught by surprise recently when Kraken Krakoa listener Xavier D. pointed out that the children sitting around Krakoa campfires, led by longtime X-Men villain Exodus, looked like kid versions of Omega-level mutants. The more I thought about the observation, the more potential I find, and now I'm convinced Hickman's X-Men is secretly telling us exactly what Krakoa's plans are for Omega-level mutants. Today I'll answer, is there a secret school for Omega-level mutants on Krakoa right under our noses? Why would this be a part of Krakoa, and what does the theory of Omega-level mutant children mean for X-Men comics moving forward? I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. You're listening to Crack and Krakoa number 80, a big ol' X-Men theory for the dawn of X. If you like the Comic Book Herald YouTube channel or podcast, please consider liking, subscribing, and sharing. Some spoilers for the dawn of X may follow. Before I get into the theory, though, I do. This is the first time I'm recording after this this heartbreaking, devastating news. So I do want to say, R.I.P. Chadwick Boseman. Uh, just an incredible legacy. The fact of what he was able to do as a performer, as a person, as a an icon uh, with cancer is is absolutely remarkable. So some very sad news. I absolutely feel like I have to address it because it is this impacts so much more, obviously, than just Marvel fandom, but certainly it hits Marvel fandom very hard as well, as well as our black communities, uh, where Chadwick Boseman was, I mean, it, it, it's impossible, I think, to overstate the impact of Black Panther and the influence that has on the world. So I encourage people to check out some of those perspectives and see the impact that, that Boseman's life had. And uh, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. Very sad news. Okay. In X-Men number 7, we are introduced to Exodus, one of the 12 members of the Krakoan Council, in his very cultish campfire stories with Krakoa's youth. It's actually not the first time we've seen Exodus telling kids stories around a campfire. There's a panel in House of X number 6, for example, but the details really begin to matter here. Exodus takes on the role of teaching these children about the Krakoan way of life, but as a literal former crusader, he naturally does so with zealotry, pomp, and unwavering conviction. Whether you buy it or not, he's a minister of propaganda, indoctrinating these kids into what it means to be a Krakoan and to be a mutant, right? He is the one who's going to tell them about the Krakoan way of life as such things as crucible. Again, in X-Men number 11, we see Exodus back at the campfire with many of the same children. And this is the point when the repetition of the same kids and Hickman's use of the framing device begins to raise a series of questions. Now, the simplest answer here is just that Exodus and these mutant kids is, is a way to show another aspect of Krakoan life and to breathe some of the culture into the comics that are otherwise focused elsewhere. Plus, Exodus might just really hanging out, telling stories around the campfire with the kids. Accepting that possibility, though, it feels like way too big of a coincidence to me that the children, especially the child with wee pink mohawk and glasses, look like Omega-level mutants we already know. If Lionel Francis Yu and company were designing new mutant kids, they could make them look like literally anything. So the fact that I'm able to make these connections makes me wonder if that's absolutely intentional and meant to tell us what's really going on here. Okay, I think there's more here than meets the eye and it's right under our nose. Before I run some side-by-side to consider which Omegas might be involved, here's what we know about Omega-level mutants in the Hickman X-Men era, and the full list of who we can consider. It's the language in the Omega Protocols that really catches my eye in retrospect too, and this chart is all from House of X number 1. All efforts are to be expended in order to secure the future of the state, we hear in the Omega Protocols. Compare that to the common refrain that children are the future, and you can see the foundation laid for Krakoan Protocols specific to Omega-level mutants that would support creating and rearing versions of Omega-level mutants, perhaps even starting as children. It makes a whole lot of sense. And we're going to come back to these Omega Protocols as we move forward through this and see kind of how they might tie into some other elements we see. 
So who are the kids that we see in these issues and how do they compare to their Omega level counterparts? Again, we have two real visions of these kids in X-Men number seven and X-Men number 11 so far, and only three of the children appear with any real frequency. So yes, I'm definitely stretching a bit in spots to make this theory fit. And I think it's important to caveat throughout that some of these kids could, you know, not fall into the Omega babies category, and maybe they're not even supposed to. Alternatively, and I'll talk about this as well, but we also should consider the very real possibility of baby chimeras via Mr. Sinister, and the fact that this would distort the kids' looks as well, okay? It's possible, and I'm going to get into this in a fair amount of detail, that these are mixtures of multiple mutant DNAs, and then that would, of course, mean like they don't have to look like a dead ringer, like the child version of their adult counterpart. That's not going to stop me from doing side-by-side -side comparisons and suggesting which Omega-level mutants they might be. But again, if we're combining elements of mutants, then of course, now we're talking about something where, well, of course, they wouldn't look exactly like their counterpart. Getting into the side-by-sides, the first one, like I mentioned, the most obvious, Quentin Choir. He has Omega-level telepathy and, or telepathy, and literal Kid Omega here definitely feels like the strongest argument for Omega-level kids on the island. The hair, the glasses, the style, it all certainly brings to mind a young Quentin Choir. So while the Elder Q is off getting killed Kenny style every single issue of X-Force, could Baby Q be in training on Krakoa? Of course, if this all turns out to not be the case, I also think it's conceivable that the kids of Krakow would hold up Omega-level mutants as their celebrities. This could explain dressing like poor Quentin, right down to the, the flat hawk. You know, again, it's like that kid could just look up and idolize Quentin as, as flawed <laughs> a celebrity icon as that might be. After Quentin, though, we pretty quickly get into wildly speculative territory, which is, you know, where I have the most fun, with some solid clues. There are only three women among the Omega level list. So our options for the little girl sitting around the campfire are Jean Grey, Hope Summers, and Aurora Monroe. The young girl arguably looks a bit like either Jean or Hope too. So I don't think it's too far-fetched to suggest she might be connected. For the record, Jean Grey is an Omega level telepath and Hope Summers is an Omega level uh, at power manipulation. And she is of course part of the Mutant 5, part of the Resurrection Protocols on Krakoa. The most interesting connection here though, for this possible Jean Hope, is to Mr. Sinister, okay? The prominent circle on the girl's forehead doesn't really match with Jean or Hope. It's not a, a birthmark that they have, but it is reminiscent of what we saw in Giant Size Phantom X in the very opening pages of the issue. So this is another Hickman-written comic in the Dawn of X. The forehead circle and diamond are used to denote certain clone types created in a Weapon Plus lab. And as many Kraken Krakoa listeners observed in that Phantom X issue, and as I talked about in some detail in my recent Kraken Krakoa where I asked, did Jonathan Hickman retcon Mr. Sinister, the, you know, the, the diamond immediately signifies the presence and involvement of Mr. Sinister. To be clear, I'm now theorizing based on a theory <laughs> that I presented in Kraken Krakoa. So we've entered the realm of theory squared. That said... You can't argue that these, you know, the, the circle on the forehead for the clone and then this circle on this girl's forehead don't at least suggest the possibility of a connection. So why does it matter to connect all of this to Mr. Sinister? For starters, we're talking about cloned replicants and mutants, so there's no pretending he's not involved, right? If we got cloned mutants, Mr. Sinister's playing around. If it's Gene, we also know Sinister has had a particular interest in the Summer's Grey bloodline for as long as we've known the character, right? That is a huge core component of, of him kind of finding, looking for this perfect mutant DNA and in his earlier iterations. So we're clearly dealing with cloned resurrected mutants, and we could 
be dealing with sinister genetic chimeras. Remember, in Powers of Ten, in Moira's Ninth Life, Sinister is responsible for creating these mutant mashups. You know, these pits on Mars full of genetic experiments blending various mutant DNAs. I'm arguing here that these kids are already Sinister's chimeras in action on Krakoa, being raised to defend mutant kind. And who knows what else, right? Who knows what plots he has? Again, I think we can almost always expect a betrayal from Mr. Sinister. It makes a lot of sense to me that Professor X in particular would want to initiate these protocols sooner in the timeline. Remember, he and Magneto are the ones who bring in Sinister so early, against Moira's better judgment, and bring to Moira's attention that in this lifeline, Sinister's first Chimera is brought to fruition decades earlier, and it's injecting himself, it's injecting Mr. Sinister himself with John Proudstar's DNA in order to become a mutant. So we like, he already has the technology, we've seen it used. To reiterate, the exact look of the kids here might not be as telling as it needs to be, or really demand a one-to-one -one match. And that's because of the mashup potential with mutant DNA. The issues where these children appear all have potential clues about this. For example, in X-Men number 7, Kurt and Scott have a conversation about mutants wanting to be resurrected with someone else's powers, with Omega-level Magneto mentioned as a possibility. Nightcrawler says, why stop there? Why not combine two? Why not add a third to the mix? And Cyclops responds, like I said, it's going to be a problem. This is set up as something that is absolutely going to be a part of the Dawn of X. It is absolutely something Hickman is going to tackle. And what I'm arguing here is that we're already seeing it tackled. We're already seeing it addressed a little bit. Again, it's just not spelled out. It's just not made explicit, but the clues are all there. Another clue that this might matter, more than stated, is the inclusion of an Omega-level mutant section in the Quorum Captain's memo, uh, this is in X-Men number 11, that is almost entirely redacted. Why even include that here, right? I, I think the use of an entirely redacted section where we only get the header Omega-level mutants and see below regarding enchanted techniques, which I kind of think is a, a typo, because right below that it then says enhanced. So I think enchanted is meant to say enhanced, but if it is enchanted, we're bringing magic into this, and I don't know what to make of that. But either way, from the Omega protocols, it is believed that a greater dynamo is possible through collective means. This War Council section is talking about the possibility of combining mutant combat techniques, and Omega-level combinations would be the most powerful type of combinations they could consider. These things tie together. Obviously, a possible Chimera mix of two Omega-level power sets is the ultimate efficiency towards that end. So again, I think this is a small hint in telling us that in the issues where the Omega babies show up, we're talking about, you know, issues of mashing Omega-level mutant DNA, it, those types of conversations aren't coming up in other places. I think they're there for a reason. Hopping back for a moment to consider the other children we do get to see in order of how likely the comparison holds up, okay? So I'm going to go from the ones that I feel the best about to the ones where I'm just like, uh, maybe. Uh, the first one is Proteus, an Omega-level reality manipulation uh, mutant, and, and obviously the son of Moira McTaggart. His real name is Kevin McTaggart. Now, <laughs> the main difference here, so he's kind of in this pink, you know, glimmering husk, which I think brings to mind Proteus. Uh, little baby Proteus, little chubster, right? <laughs> he's got he's got a little bit of that baby fat on him, and obviously he's slimmed out quite a bit in his husky, uh, near-nude form as part of the five. But I do think this, this visual of a potential Proteus is not without merit. From there, we can go to Iceman, okay? We only have, like, one really small little glimpse of a possible Iceman here uh, in, in a kind of, you know, very frozen, spiky ice hair 
version of the character. Iceman is an Omega level at temperature manipulation on the negative side of the scale. Now, this one is probably the one I'm least confident in. Not probably, it is. Uh, I'll admit my first thought here was Mr. M, um, it, but it actually I reread District X recently, and it turns out that dude, my dude Absalom, is super white. <laughs> so probably not Mr. M. Uh, so literally our only black Omega level mutant is Storm, which means we're considering short-haired Aurora Monroe as a possibility. Now, the lit-up eyes actually do make this interesting, although Storm's hair has historically also been very white, even as a child, right? So that's that's kind of two things that don't necessarily add up. I don't expect it's necessarily a part of the narrative here, but the child could also bring to mind Chimera. Yes, literally named Chimera, the alternate Earth child of Storm and T'Challa from the Bendis-written Battle of the Atom. Now, I'm not going to get into it here, but I've got a lot of theories and thoughts right now on, like, where do where do X-Men of alternate Earths, where do X-Men of alternate realities fit, or not X-Men, mutants, right, fit into possible, you know, Krakoa uh, life? I think it's really interesting to consider. It's an idea that's brought up, actually, in the Mike Carey-written, uh, what is it, No More Humans original graphic novel from around 2014. Uh, but if we're, t if we're already bringing in somebody like a Chimera, uh, as part of this this process, then things get really, really interesting on Krakoa, I think. Uh, the most vexing child that has some marks on his face that I can't really fit to any of the known Omega levels is, is what I'm guessing might be Elixir. If you have theories on how this kid might fit or any of the others, definitely let me know in the comments uh, because I want to know. If I'm just straight up missing, like, no, this mutant is blank. Um, you know, the other thing, too, would be like, hey, we've seen this kid mutant in other situations, and they go by... XYZ, that's definitely something I might be missing here as well as I sort of force feed them into this Omega level theory uh, that I'm that I'm working on. So if we take it as a very real possibility that Exodus is training clones of Omega level mutants as children, what are the relevant questions? What are the things we should be asking? Well, first, why is Exodus teaching them? He's Omega level himself and without question, one of the most fervent believers in mutant superiority. I do think it's interesting to keep in mind that narratives told by Exodus are soaked in his truth, which tends to fall short of a balanced perspective. Things like Magneto, Hero of Empire from X-Men number 11, could actually play out differently in reality than in the way it's told in Exodus's fable. Plus, you know, we see him demonizing Scarlet Witch, right, right, quite extensively as a representation of humanity, you know, so he is very much instilling in these young children, again, if they're Omega level clones or not, he's instilling that, you know, mutant kind is is persecuted and harassed and the Scarlet Witch is one of the absolute most villainous. And the fact that she has been circa 2015 Uncanny Avengers uh, made now non-mutant, the fact that she is not a mutant, allows them to make her the big bad boogeyman of, of man's world effectively, right? So Exodus is definitely a good fit for this role, full of the mutant religion bombast and absolute lack of doubt to turn these Omega kids into the Krakoan loyalists the island needs. We don't really see schooling taking place elsewhere either on Krakoa. I actually think a Wolverine in the X-Men style book would go a long way in the Krakoa era, you know, but that's kind of neither here nor there. But I don't really think Exodus is straight up in charge of education. My guess would be he's leading these specific Omega kids like, you know, a Boy Scout leader through his own special blend of unflinching belief. Actually, probably a better analogy is like a Sunday school teacher, right? Because this is definitely Exodus as kind of religious chief. Again, remember, back in the whatever it is, 12th century, he is a literal member of the Crusades. So that type of language, that type of belief system, it comes very naturally to him. When is this happening? Well, it's worth considering, truly with so many moments that we've seen in the pages of the Hickman written X-Men era so far, 
that the timing of the events, and even where it fits into Moira's lifelines, is up in the air. There's a deliberately non-linear approach to these pieces of story, and given that we've already seen Hickman pull this trick in Powers of Ten, I think it's fair game to at least consider the possibility that, you know, these Exodus conversations could be happening whenever, wherever uh, we might, you know, they might need to. The only real context clue we're given is in X-Men number seven, when Cyclops and Kurt do walk by the conversation on their way to Krakoa's first crucible. Uh, this also potentially, so, you know, the, the implication here is that, like, yes, this conversation is happening in real time as we go to the first crucible. This also potentially answers the who knows about this question, uh, with Cyclops and Kurt walking right by Exodus and the kids. It's not like they're hiding, right? It is at least the way this is presented. Uh, unless we're in for some real chronal whiplash, and I'm not ruling it out, this suggests the Exodus Omega Club is in place on Krakoa, quite literally in the new nation's life, you know? So quite early, excuse me, not quite literally. Early, right? It's there, everybody knows about it, everybody knows tech Exodus, at least the council, I would say is teaching these kids. I'm also not ruling out the idea that like Exodus and the kids are in some sort of holographic training, but you know, the visual Kurt and Cyclops might be them viewing that, going back in time and watching it, uh, reviewing an event after the fact, but there's, there's not a ton of evidence to support that. Okay, what does all this build to? Well, it builds to the Omega Level Army theory that Krakoa is making an Omega Level Army. I think it makes an infinite amount of sense that Krakoa would already be building up an army of Omegas. The only consideration that might hold them back is the ability to do so somewhat safely. You know, like the only reason they wouldn't say, yeah, let's just have tons of Omega Level mutants around would be the fact that they can't do that and have it not be a problem. So consider threats like Children of the Vault with an ability to manufacture threats at a rate mutant procreation probably can't keep up with, despite the best intentions of the horniest X-Men fans or the ultimate threat of the phalanx, right? Make more mutants should be something we as readers, I think, take a lot more literally, right? That is something that is going to, like, it doesn't have to be the standard vertical for making more mutants. We have a Mr. Sinister character who likes to make more mutants in a lab. I think we should take that as a very real possibility. And I would say, throughout the Dawn of X, Krakoa has been far too open to attack and failure. I'm interested in ideas that we're less exposed to in the narrative so far that actually display more forward thinking. We saw in House of X and Powers of Ten, we see Krakoa really take charge of their destiny for mutant kind. Putting an Omega-level army on the island, beginning to build that, is another example where we say, oh, okay, this is how they're breaking the rules. This is how they're moving forward and actually securing their place on Earth, as opposed to just this sort of passive getting invaded by the Brood, getting invaded by Russia every other Tuesday kind of situation we're seeing in some of the Dawn of X. So why kids, I guess? Why like this? Why not just make an Iceman clone, for example? Well, I, I don't necessarily know the answer to this, but I will say, before it was on seemingly eternal hiatus, and I have no idea what the status is, the Children of the Atom book was listed in the, the brief reading order it was listed on as a red issue. Red issues in the checklists that are included in the Dawn of X and Hickman, you know, era X-Men, those are the ones that tell us the most important details about the world of X-Men right now, about Krakoa, about everything that's going on in Hickman's vision of the X-Men. Children of the Atom was going to be that kind of issue. I don't know that these children are necessarily this type of clone or chimera or anything like that, but the fact that it was read suggests it had extremely important information to convey. And I really wonder now if that type of information is connecting to this Omega level army consideration. I think, you know, as opposed to just this being like teens who really dig the X-Men and take after them, you know, and become their sidekicks. What if they are clone creations of Mr. Sinister? And I think that could connect 
into my theory here that we already have trial runs going with with kids you know with very very young mutants and i think part of the argument for why well, why do it so young why not make them when they're older i think it's to indoctrinate them in the life in the in the ways of krakoa right i think you bring them up from birth so they can have the care and support and and fondness for the Krakoan way of life, as opposed to just, you know, kind of Madeline Pryoring your way into a disaster, you know, where you make a clone of Jean Grey as is, and she has no background. You give these kids the life. You give these kids a mutant life on Krakoa that they're happy and that they would absolutely fight to support. And now you have an Omega level army, I think that is going to be a lot more successful, even though it will take more time. So that's a fair amount <laughs> of information. And again, like this is all really reading between the lines. Of, of what's been delivered in actual X-Men comics so far. But I'm pretty into this theory. I think it's pretty interesting. Uh, I'd like to know what you think. Definitely let me know what do you think of this theory overall. Let me know your thoughts in the comments for whether it makes sense. Uh, additions, uh, you know, like ways that things I missed maybe with the way these kids look or information here about Mr. Sinister. Stuff that's come up in the Dawn of X or elsewhere in X-Men comics that you think might add to the picture. I love hearing these theories. And obviously, like, this whole thing that I'm doing here is that this theory is prompted by... A crack and Krakoa listener comment on the YouTube channel. So <laughs> there's a pretty good chance if you come up with a really cool idea that that's going to get me spinning uh, some plates and thinking about it in more detail myself. So definitely leave a comment. I love the feedback and I want to hear what what all of you think about this crazy theory because I think it's there's a lot of merit to it and it could be a really cool trick where this is all happening. It's all out there. Uh, we're just nobody's talking about it. So you know, I, again, like I I looked at this. I was trying to find like, all right, is anybody talking about the kids here in these expedited campfires? And I really couldn't find anything online. So this is, to my knowledge, like kind of the first time anybody's really laying out the groundwork for this theory, uh, which is which is fun. It's a cool place to be. So thanks everybody for listening. Uh, you can find more of my stuff, ways to support the site, and ways to support Crack and Krakoa at Patreon.com/slash/ComicBookHero. If you join the Mysterious Benefactors tier, you will get your name listed and sometimes read here in the Crack and Krakoa videos. Again, I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at ComicBookHero.com at ComicBookHero online. Look for the best comics ever in my marvelous year podcast for more from me. Thanks everybody for listening. Again, leave your thoughts, comments, like, and subscribe if you like the content. And uh, I look forward to hearing what you have to say. So thanks, everybody, and 